We've been looking at some of the Psalms over the holiday period. And we start with Psalm 1, how to be blessed. Psalm 127, with the Lord, without the Lord, frustration. Remember that? Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. Last week, anyone remember anything from last week's sermon? Yeah. Don't be a donkey. Or an ass or a mule. God offers, God offers his forgiveness. And don't be like the mule or the ass and, and, and just not take it. Psalm we're looking at this morning is Psalm 143. We heard it. It's a Psalm of David. And it looks as though David is in a bit of a mess. We're not told exactly what the situation is. It's probably when King Saul was after him. King Saul was hunting him down, trying to kill him. And David doesn't hold back when he describes his feelings to God. And this is what we'll see this morning. He wants relief from his present situation. He's feeling crushed. He's feeling spiritually weak. He's downhearted. He feels God's far away. He's fearing for his life. Ever been there? Ever felt some of those feelings? I bet you have. And it's probably also a safe bet that when you're feeling some of these emotions, the last thing you want to do is bring them to God. So that's our first fill-in this morning. When you're feeling bad, it's a good time to share how you're feeling with God. It's easy when you're feeling good. Here's David in this psalm says, I'm feeling bad and I need to speak to you. And what David does is he pours out his feelings to God. God knows how you are feeling. Do you believe that? He does. God knows at this moment how you are feeling. Irrespective of how you come this morning with your smiles on or your fancy shirt. <laughs> God knows how you are feeling. God knows what concerns you. God knows what's worrying you. And he wants to be involved in your situation. So fill-in number two says, don't run away when you're feeling bad. Run towards. We always want to run away. But not to run away when we're feeling bad, but to run towards God. And we're going to see what David does and hopefully learn from this psalm. What does he do? Now, he doesn't stop at sharing his feelings with God. We can tell God how we're feeling, which is a big jump forward for most of us. We can tell him, oh, this is bad, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop by just telling God how bad it is. He says, this is what I want you to do. He wants God to act. David wants God to hear his requests. He wants God to answer him. He doesn't want God to judge him. He doesn't want God to hide his face from him. He wants God to deliver him from his present situation. And I don't know if he's going to get the last one, but he wants God to destroy his enemies. I'm sure some of us can share that prayer this morning. So David's not content with just sharing how he's feeling with God. He says, God, I want you. If you're the living God, if you're a God who can intervene, intervene in my situation now. And I want you to make things better than they are for me, than they are just now. Now that will sound familiar to some of us. 
Ever wanted some of that to happen in your life? Ever wanted God to intervene and say, clear up this mess? I don't know how it's happened or whatever it is. Either circumstances that we've either caused or have been caused by someone outside. God, can you clear it up? And you've probably said that, but also found yourself saying some internal things that negate this idea of taking it forward. You know, why should God do that for me? God even interested in me? Surely God's got more to worry about than worry about me. And some of you think, I don't deserve God's help. And if you used any of those excuses, then I think what David says is going to take you on the next step forward. Let's learn from what David says in this psalm. Why should God listen to you or me? Why should God bother? Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. This is the answer when all those doubts come into our head about how unworthy we think we are or how we think God's got so much more to do than worry about me. Why should God bother about you? Fill in number three. We can trust in God's mercy because God is faithful and righteous. That's why we can trust it, because he's both faithful and he's righteous. You know? Some of us will be old enough to remember that hymn. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Remember that one? Yeah, no, you're too young. Too young. There's a wideness in God's mercy. That's one of my favorite oldies. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. It's huge. And that's why Philip number four says, when God promises, God delivers. Because we don't believe that. There might be a wideness in God's mercy, but what's he going to do? God says, when I promise to do something, I will deliver. How do you know that God will forgive us? How do you know that God's going to forgive us when we ask him? We saw that last week. And the answer is the same answer. If we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just. So it's two words again. Faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every kind of wrong at all unrighteousness. We can be certain because God's promises are based on his character. That's what we've got to see. It's based on the character of God. When we're seeking God's mercy, then we've got nothing to bring to the table. David's got nothing to bring to the table. David is coming to God and saying, God, I need your mercy. I need you to clear all this up. In your mercy, I want you to do this for me. But he's got nothing to bring. Now, sometimes we think we have that little bit of goodness that's in us. It's going to bring us God's mercy. Or a church membership. Or a good deeds. Or whatever. Somehow that's going to allow us to, to buy just enough mercy from God to get us on the road. But it's not going to work. Because there's a wideness in God's mercy and it's because of God's character, not because of what we have done. It's because of who he is. God is a merciful God. God is a faithful God. God is a holy God. God is righteous because that's just who he is. That's his character. And we've seen already this morning that there's things that God can't do. That's a surprise until you think about it. God can do everything. No, he can't. God can't promise something and not deliver. It's just 
can't happen. That's his character. God can't lie. God can't sin. God just can't. Because his nature is faithful and just. And that's why David pleads for mercy based on God's character. And we can do the same. Have mercy on me because you are a faithful God. Have mercy on me because you're a righteous God. Have mercy on me because you promised. And that's how we can be sure. But that in itself, I don't think, is going to get David out of the hole. He's in some kind of downer here. How does he stop his circumstances being dictated by how he feels? I think we've got to get this bit, because this is the bit that will get some of us this morning out of the hole that we've got ourselves in. He's got himself down there in the hole. He's down. No wonder he's been hunted for his life. He thinks God is far away. He wonders what's happening. What practical methods does he use to get him out of the hole? Three things we need to do, and it's from uh, verse 5. It says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works. And consider what your hands have done. Fill in number five. First thing we've got to do. Remember what God has done for you in the past. We have bad memories. Especially when it comes to good things. We have good memories for bad things. We've got bad memories for good things. And that's why what David does is he remembers what God has done in the past. God, you have done this in the past for us. Either for us as a nation or for me individually. And we've got to try and keep uh, I'm back to my happy box. We need a happy box for things God has done because we forget. And when we find ourselves down there, we've got to say, look what God has done for us in the past. Fill in number six. We meditate on what God has done for us. Now, I don't know what you think about meditation. I mean, it's not so oming, om. You know, this century and probably half of last century is probably the only time in the church that the church did not have spiritual disciplines like meditation. Done it for centuries, done it for years. And we think it's some kind of Eastern thing. You know, you've got to empty yourself. Mm. Some of you will find that easier than others. (laughs) But it's not, it's the opposite. Christian meditation is not going into some kind of freaky trance. It's spending time reflecting on who God is. It's not just hearing it in our head. It's letting it get into our heart and saying, you know, God is a faithful God. Kids come out with it so easily. God is a loving God. God loves you. And the more you think of some of these things, the deeper it goes, but I think the wider the whole idea of God gets. God is a forgiving God. And we think what that means. That's what meditation is. It's the second thing we've got to do. Fellow number seven is consider a reason from the past experience to the present. That one's a bit more difficult. But I think we do that quite often. We've looked at the Exodus and how God saved the people um, you know, through the Red Sea. And that, that was fantastic. And we hear all these things that God has done in the past. And we hear God has delivered. But what about today? What about today? Does he do that today? Well, I don't know, we say. And that's where we go wrong. We've got to consider this and reason this and see, 
can God do that today? And the answer is yes, because it's the same God. And the reasons we get wrong with this one is sometimes we get our relationship with God out of balance. And that's the first thing that throws us when we consider, we can believe that God did all that way back then. Can we believe that God can do it today? And we've got to watch that there's no underlying issues that are interfering between us and God. And it's back to our relationship again. Is that relationship still open? Are there things that are blocking us? An easy thing is get them sorted out. You know, that's what we do in church every Sunday. An opportunity, and I'm going to give you another opportunity at the end of this sermon. 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) How we can sort that out. It's so easy. So when he's a mess and when he's under pressure, David shares his feelings with God. That's the first thing he does. Then David is certain that God will deliver, not because of him, but because of his character. And then David reflects on his situation, and he remembers what God has done in the past, and he can find no reason why this God is going to do the same thing today. And that's why he's so bold in saying, I want this and this and this and this and this. We don't do that. I think we're frightened to do that. God, I need you to do this, 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 and this. Because that's what we need. And it's only because of that, and because David can get that far, that we get to the last bit that we've got to do. Fill in number eight. Ask God for the specific help you need. That's what he does. He's going through all that stuff at the beginning. And then he asks God for specific help. Now, we're on safer ground when we ask God for general things. We're good at asking and praying God for general things, you know. Bless my family, bless my church, bless most of the folk who come here on a Sunday. And that's what we do because it's then quite safe. Because it's a sort of general thing. And I think we're frightened that God's not going to deliver. So if we say bless the church, it's got to bless somebody sometime. Bless our country. What does that mean? David gets very specific. Fellow number nine. This is one of the ways he gets specific. God, show me the way that I should go. And this is what we've got to do in prayer. And I think the younger you are, the more you should be doing it. Show me the way that I should go. Because you've got longer to go. (laughs) And I think the earlier you can align yourself with God's will and say, show me what you want me to do. Hundreds of things you can do. You know, some of us are getting a little bit older. There's some things that we can do. It broke my heart when I realized I probably will never play football for Scotland. Or maybe yes. (laughs) But no, that's gone. Yeah. And things just go as you get older. When you're younger, this is so many opportunities. But number nine says, God, show me the way that I want to go. This is what David says. Give me my plan. You know I'm being hunted. You know what's going on. I've been, somebody said, I'm going to be king. Doesn't seem to be coming. Show me your way. Show me the way I've got to go. The younger, the better. Fill in number 10. God, teach me. To do your will. You know, we pray that every week. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
tends to just a lot of the time teach me your will your will be done the best possible life we could have is when we're living in God's will your will be done and it will be different for each one of us and that's why we've got to be specific God will say to us when we ask him you know your will be done not, not just in the church this is what you can do in your situation at your time now for whatever my will wants and that's why it's got to be different for each one of us. That's why we've got to seek God's will for that. God, what do you want me to do? Any idea of what you want, God wants you to do in the next year or two? So we've got to find. Got to find. We're going to have a time. Um, I was going to say nothing about it. You know when you've got something in your head and you keep saying you'll keep it till next week? I'm not going to. I just... It's just eating away at me here just now. We've got an instruction from the General Assembly. We've got to pray for three months. <laughs> when was the last time you prayed in the church for three months? Three months prayer. You know, hard to believe. 61, never done it. Never been in a church that's prayed for three months. <coughs> You're more than 61, Joan. Have you uh, never? Three months? No. I was... <laughs> This could go anywhere. I was going to say, who can beat Joan? <laughs> We're not going there. Yeah, some can beat Moan. Yeah, Granny, you can beat Joan. Yeah, folk will not ask. But it's just something we've not done. And the, the General Assembly has said they're instructing the church to, to, to pray for three months. And I'm sort of putting something together now, which I think is very exciting. I'm sure you will next week. Oh, But we've got to get together and we've got to pray. Why? Because the General Assembly this year had all these magnificent ideas. First one, build an ark. Yeah, <laughs> build an ark. And why they've been wise in saying, you know, you know, if you read it, it's frightening. I know I gave you a sheet out. I know you've all been reading it. It's probably in your bedside cabinet. And uh, I'll give you another one. But there's so much that the church could be doing. And we're starting with three months of discernment. And it says, what do you want us to do? Not just as a, a, a church collectively, but our presbytery. What do you want the presbytery to do? What do you want queer Church to do? And that's why we've got to come in prayer corporately, and we're going to do different things over these three months. And I'm hoping presbytery is getting its act together, but I've designed something oh, on the off chance they might not have that we're going to do as a church. And I think I'm going to open it up to presbytery and everyone else to have a time together where we're going to do about six or seven weeks. Sundays and once or twice during the week, I hope. When I speak to some folk during this week, if it doesn't come off and I don't mention it every, ever again, you know, they've said, you've got to be kidding. But it'll happen. Because we need to know God's will. Because number 11, the last one, is God lead me. We've got to know his will, we've got to know how he's going to teach us, and we've got to know how he's going to lead us. He leads me by still waters. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's where we're going next week. We're going to look at probably the most famous psalm in the whole of the Psalter, 23rd Psalm. Amen. <laughs>